Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we are going to be concluding a sermon series that we've been in for the last several weeks, and it's called Back to Life. So if you've been rolling with us, and either online or in person, You've been in this series with us, and we have been looking at the resurrection narratives in the Gospels. So the Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as they record the life and the ministry of Jesus. If you are a careful reader of those Gospels, you would find that on numerous occasions, Jesus not only uh, had uh, uh, restored the sight to the blind, or the lame would walk, or the deaf would hear, or the mute would speak, or those who were oppressed by the demonic forces were set free, that there are several narratives recorded in the Gospels where Jesus spoke and touched, and the dead were raised to life. And in those narratives, you see demonstrated that Jesus has uh, the ability, he's got the authority, and he's got the willingness to bring life out of death, but they also foreshadow where we arrive at today. They foreshadow the greatest of all resurrection narratives, and that is Jesus as the risen King, risen Lord and Savior. Each one of those stories that we've looked at over the last several weeks has, again, demonstrated Jesus's power and his authority, and he offers new life to the places where sin and death have marked yours. And whether that's an issue of salvation where you are now dead in your sin and you need to be raised to new life in Christ, or if that is an issue of your life where even as a follower of Jesus, you are still marked with some of that brokenness or still struggling through some of those issues, in any and all of those areas, there is his opportunity and his invitation to bring life into those dead places. And as we approach Easter, a lot of times we, we've got a lot of questions. And so you might be somebody who likes to study. You might be somebody who has a, a lot of uh, curiosity or inquiry. And you may have asked uh, a number of different questions. Maybe you've looked into some of the historical narratives. Maybe you've kind of done a deep dive on that. Maybe you're somebody who's a little bit more theologically minded or you like to kind of unpack doctrine and you've studied some of that as well. Some of the questions that we kind of run into even with our kids is like, why did Jesus have to die? right? Like, why wasn't there another way? I remember him asking his father that in the, Gethsem- in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Like, is, is there another way to do this? Maybe you've uh, kind of wrestled with that, or, or maybe you've wrestled in the personal sense, why would he choose to die for you? Like, for, for you. If he knows all about you, and you know all about you, why would he choose to do that? Some of our questions are kind of deep like that. They're more theological. And then some of the questions are more uh, the questions that I was asking this week, uh, which one was, why were so many people busying themselves with giving me a hard time about my black licorice jelly beans? I mean, with all the other things that you could have been doing this week, like, why was that? Why was that a thing? I, I, I was vulnerable, right? I was open with you last week about I like black licorice jelly beans. And you guys shut me down. And Pastor Beth said, hey, don't even buy him any. He's got enough. Can never have enough of a good thing. I'm a firm believer in that. But here's the deal. This is a sidebar. And this is not theological in any stretch of the imagination. Some of you were so bold as to say that they are the worst candy 
of all time. And I see some head shakes in here, and that's how you know that we allow anybody to come to church. <laughs> I just want to know, okay, if, if you hold to that thought, how can you how can you really hold that conviction when there is such a thing as hot tamale-flavored peeps? This is a real thing. Some of you thought, hey, you know what? We're going to cure him of his black licorice disease, and we'll replace it with this. Uh, You can come up after service, and first one up, you can have dibs on this. Pastor Megan and I split one of these, and she said, uh, gross, it's slimy, it's sliding down my throat as she left my office, and I just assume got rid of it in any number of different ways. But there is one question, there is one question of particular importance today, and it's a question that each of us need to ask, and it's really, it's a question that we wrestle with at times, and this is the question can Jesus really save? Like, can, can Jesus really save? Like we, we wrestle with that. Can he save me from my sin? Even though I seem to wrestle with some of that still being expressed in my life. Can he save me from my brokenness where there's a, a, a longing in my heart and my soul for wholeness, but it's not here yet? There's still this broken, fractured Peace. Can he save me from my addiction? Can he save me from my tendency to be self-absorbed or prideful? Can he save me from myself is oftentimes a question we would ask. Can he save me from the places where I've been offended, the places where I've been wounded? Can he save me from my fear and my anxiety and my depression? Can he save me from injustice and the injustice that I see around me? Can he actually do something about this stuff? Can he save me from the wickedness around me and often what is expressed in me? Can he really save me? And we're going to wrestle with that question this morning as we look at a question that was asked at the cross. If you've got your Bible, and encourage you to go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, go ahead and open up your Bible app. And Lord, we open our hearts to you in this moment. We ask that you would soften our hearts, that we would receive the truth of your word, Lord, that we uh, would allow it to take root and to grow and to produce spiritual fruit in our lives, Lord, that you would give us courage and strength in the leading of your Holy Spirit, that we would put it into practice in our daily life, God, that what you would begin in us today would stretch into next week and make an impact in our life and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. If your Bible out, you can go ahead and go to Luke chapter 23. We're going to be spending much of our time there this morning, and we're going to start at the cross. We're going to start at the cross. Now, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, you know, we want to get to the empty tomb, and oftentimes that's where we start, but we're going to start at the cross this morning because in the exchange at the cross, you see a question that was on everybody's mind. You see a question that was on everybody's mind. The religious leaders the crowd and the onlookers, the looky-loos, the Roman guard, the centurion, the followers of Jesus. This, this was a question everybody had, and they were all looking to see if there was going to be an answer to it. And the question was a very, very simple one. What will he do? What's he going to do? He had come into Jerusalem. He was celebrated as a, a, a king. 
Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Everybody was excited about him being there. They were moving towards Passover, a very specific point of celebration that spoke of God's redemption. There was anticipation building, and now all of a sudden everything slides sideways. And he's arrested, and in many cases deserted. He's abused. Now he's nailed to the cross. And he was hung up at a higher height for public spectacle. Crucifixion was a common practice for the Roman Empire, but oftentimes you would just be a little bit up off the ground. It was just to to make it torturous and arduous on you, but it needed to be easy and we just wanted to get it over with. But if they were going to make a particular point, you were elevated for maximum effect. You were put into a place of high traffic so people would see, they would take note. It was to underscore, hey, you don't want to be here, so stay in line. And scripture records the way that they had to get the drink to Jesus as he was elevated. And they put it on a sponge on the end of a stick. It it gives us the picture of him being up on full public display. And it's in that moment, everybody's there and now they're still wondering, what is he going to do? Because he didn't do anything, it seemed like, when he was arrested. He didn't really do anything when he was in his false trial. He didn't defend himself. He didn't come to his own rescue. He didn't demonstrate any power or might. He seemingly did not do anything. So what's the delay? What's taking place? What is going to happen? And everybody is wondering, what is he going to do? And seemingly, he does nothing. And so into that moment, you have people begin to speak towards him. They begin to interact with him mostly in mocking tones. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 35, it says this, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. The rulers that are being spoken of here are the religious leaders. These aren't the Roman leaders. This isn't the centurion and the guard. This isn't the government authorities. This is the religious leaders of the people. They're watching, they're sneering. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself. Hey, you did some great things. What are you going to do now? And the great irony in this exchange is that their greatest fear is that he would do something. It's why they were there. Really interesting because the religious leaders had tried to arrest Jesus on other occasions. People had tried to coerce Jesus, to corner him, to force him into places of leadership that he was reluctant to grab or to bring about a silencing of his mission. On many occasions, you saw this. And the religious leaders aren't there just to kind of gloat. They're there to make sure the job got done because on many occasions, as they tried to entrap Jesus, he would just pass through the crowd. And so their greatest fear, honestly, was that Jesus would do something. And I can tell you just as a sidebar, when you become really religious, but not close in relationship to Jesus, you will always be afraid of what he might do. It's it's a good indicator that you've got a hard and religious heart and not one that is soft and yielded to your Savior. But the religious leaders, he saved others, let him save himself. What are you going to do? And then they say, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Which is interesting because he had claimed to be that. 
And it's certainly who he was. And they're making this as a declaration, but they're using it as a pejorative. They're using it to mock him. The great irony in it is that he was exactly those things. But their question was, what are you going to do? And it seemed like the answer was nothing. And Luke's narrative moves from uh, the Jewish people and the religious leaders and moves to the soldiers. Verse 36, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, they don't care anything about the Messiah or the chosen one. He had a sign above him that said he was the king of the Jews. Okay, so if you're the king, not the Roman emperor, but you, you're it, huh? Save yourself. Again, the same levied accusation. Jesus, you can't do anything about this. If you are, then save yourself. And for them, they're not afraid of this. There's nothing in the, the, the Romans, there's nothing in the government that was afraid of Jesus. In fact, when you look at his trial, right, those in authority said he didn't do anything wrong. This is silly. Like, he should just be able to get set free. And it was the people, it was the religious leaders that really pressed for what's taken place to have taken place. In fact, if you read the Gospels, you don't really see a negative exchange between Jesus and any of the Romans. In fact, he heals several of them on numerous occasions, pays his taxes. Like, they don't have a problem with him or what he's doing. He's not a rebel. He's not creating the uprising. It was the religious who had a problem with what he was doing. And so for the soldiers, he's just a curiosity. He shouldn't even be up here. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's not wanted. He's just like some guy. But they join in the mocking. Say, save yourself. And it's more of just a curiosity. It's kind of a way to pass the time in this moment. And then at the end, you see the criminal's response. And you can read the different narratives, and there's two, and one responds in a positive way and a negative way. In particular, here's one of the negative statements. One of the criminals who was hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you Messiah? Look at this. Save yourself. Oh yeah, and us. A little sidebar, hey, if you can do something here, you know, we could, we could all get out of this, or, you know, or I, I can just poke fun. It's like a last chance. It's a, des- it's a desperate statement. And what's a really interesting study, and you can do this on your own, is if you go to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his temptation in the wilderness by Satan. Very often, what was suggested by the enemy, save yourself. Show your strength. Prove it. The same thing being said at the cross. He saved others. Can he save himself? Will he save himself? And it's the accusation or the challenge that is levied. And it seems as if he said, no. Can you do something about this, Jesus? Seemingly, it seems like no. Now, as you continue to move through the narrative, you see some things begin 
to change and not in a demonstration of his power and strength and not in him coming off the cross, not in him coming, uh, calling an army of angels, which other scriptures tell us he could have certainly have done, that at any point he could have left the cross, he could have said, time out, this plan's not gonna happen, and he could have brought righteous judgment at a word, but he chose not to. He saved others, and the question was, could he save himself? And as you move through the narrative, what you find is he saved others, but chose not to save himself. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, as you move through the rest of Luke's narrative, it says that Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Jesus called out. Jesus made the choice and committed his spirit. John chapter 19, verse 30, that gospel writer records it a little bit different. It says that when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Matthew 27, verse 50 says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. See, he saved others. And then the question of could he save himself was not answered with no. The question of would he save himself was answered. But not with a no. It was a not yet. And what you find in Jesus committing his spirit, in giving up his spirit, is his willful submission to the plan of redemption. His life was not taken. See, when you go back to the question that sometimes we have at the beginning, why did Jesus have to die as if his life was taken from him? Jesus' life was not taken, it was given. It was given. See, we look at the process that brings him to the crucifixion. And in that humility, and in that humiliation, oftentimes we ascribe a pity to him that I think is undue. He was never not the King of kings and Lord of lords. He was never just at the hands of others and somehow not sovereign or in control. And I've heard it preached on different occasions that it was my sin, that it was your sin that took the life of Jesus. Can I tell you, his life was not taken, it was given. My sin may have been the reason he was on the cross, but my sin didn't keep him on the cross. His love did. See, he, he chose to remain there. He chose to remain there. It was his love for me, his desire to make me whole, to recover me unto himself. It was his love that kept him there, the same love that he has for you. It's the for God so loved the world love that we often can quote but have a hard time comprehending. He chose. It's not whether he could save himself from death, it's would he, and he chose not to. 
He saved others from death, but did not save himself from death in order to conquer death and save all through his life. It was purposed, it was intentional. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, Paul's writing to a young pastor about this. And he says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants, look at this, all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It is God's desire that each and every one would respond to salvation. And apart from Christ's work, apart from his death, there would be no life available to you and I. He could have saved himself from the cross, but it would have damned us for eternity. And so he didn't save himself from death, but gave himself over to that in order to, having conquered death, he can offer you and I new life. Because if Jesus can go in the grave and come out of his own volition, certainly he can meet you in this moment and meet your need. Verse 5 in that First Timothy passage says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself, again, gave himself as a ransom for all people. He did what was necessary for life, not to just be for him to be enjoyed, but for you and I to have new life offered in him. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, we've got a promise that is echoed from the book of Joel in the Old Testament as Paul's writing to the church and he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, and that brings us out of a historical narrative. It brings us out of a historical consideration of what happened back then to what can happen today. Can Jesus save you? Can he save you from your sin and into eternal life? And can he save you from the places that sin has wrought brokenness and despair in your life? And can he bring beauty out of those ashes? Can he bring new life out of those places of death? Can he restore your health? Can he restore your relationship? Can he give you a future and a hope in spite of the past that would say that there is no future and hope for you because of what you have already experienced, the trauma you've already incurred or the things that you have already done? Is there hope? And see, if we, if we stop at the cross, there isn't. See, there, there's no actual hope at the cross. There's a Jesus, are you going to do something about this? And the answer seems to be no. His body was broken so that you and I could be made whole, and his blood was shed so that we could have newness of life. And then after those events, everything changes. Because, and then Jesus did something no one else had ever done. That no other person in all of human history had done. And it wasn't that he was raised back to life. We just spent several weeks talking about people who were dead and raised to life. Jesus did that. You can go into the Old Testament and see several instances where 
God used prophetic men and women to bring life out of death. People who were dead raised to physical life. In human history, in the, in the scope of the way that God has demonstrated his love and his goodness and his grace, there have been people who were dead and who are now alive. But in each one of those narratives, in each one of those stories, God used another human agent to bring that about. It was a person who, through the Holy Spirit, was used to pray or to touch or to speak, and then into the life of, uh, and ministry of Jesus, it was Jesus himself who spoke and touched and commanded But in Jesus' story, he raised himself to new life. See, it wouldn't have been enough for him to just be raised from the dead. He literally had done that not too long prior to his friend Lazarus. We looked at a couple other stories through this series. It wouldn't be enough for him to just be alive again. He raised himself. And so the question, right? He saved others. Will he save himself? Not from death, but out of death. And because he was raised to new life, he can offer you new life. And he could have saved himself. He could have come down off the cross. He could have said nuts to this. But his love for you and I kept him there. Because his death and then resurrection, conquering death, conquering sin, offers you and I new life. All the other people that we've looked at in the Gospels who were raised to new life all died again. All the Old Testament examples of men and women who were raised to new life, they all physically died again. The point was never to just kind of bring life and extend comfort or extend the lifeline. The point was always to point towards an eternal life that was going to be offered by the one who would die and raise himself to life. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 7, As Matthew is recording the events at the tomb, there's a conversation between an angel and some women there. And it says, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. That happened. But he is not here. He has risen just as he said. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? Just wait and see. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? Just watch. What are you going to do about Jesus? Are you going to save yourself? No. I'm going to save you. Wait and see. And as we circle back to the question that we began with today, can Jesus save you? Absolutely. He can save you from sin and death and into eternal life? Sure. 
can save you today from your addiction. He can save you from your bondage. He can save you from your brokenness. He can save you from your anxiety, your fear, your despair. He can begin to knit back together every place in you that needs to be made whole. Because he walked out of the grave under his own volition. He has the authority. He has the power. And in the exchange between the angel and the women is a great encouragement for you and I. As he says, Jesus is not here. He's risen just as he said. The angel follows up with this statement. Come and see where he laid. And in that is an invitation for you, for me. Check it out. Check it out. If you're in a place where your heart is skeptical, if you're in a place where your heart's just desperate, you don't have another place to turn, you're in a place where your heart is hard and religious, there's something stirring in you that's going to respond to Jesus today, just check it out. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've got a young lady here in our church this morning who several weeks ago was at home watching online, and she just cried out to Jesus. Wasn't actually sure how to do that, but knew that she was going to do whatever she knew how to do at that moment and began a journey of walking into salvation, walking into newness of life. She's sitting in here this morning celebrating her first Easter as a follower of Jesus. Come and see. Come and see. But then there's a second thing. There's a second thing. Once you've tasted and seen, once you have recognized, once you have seen the Lord move in your life, there is a way for us to respond. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Allow him to move and bring new life in you. Go tell somebody about it and extend that invitation. Church family, if you would stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. We're going to close in a couple of ways this morning. As the worship team's coming forward, I'm going to ask you to, uh, church family, just take a moment and uh, close your eyes if you would be comfortable doing that. It's just to close distractions out kind of around, <laughs> around you. And I want to encourage you to process a couple questions with the Lord this morning. And the first one is this, where are you in need of resurrection in your life? Where do you need to see life come out of death that you're experiencing right now? You know, that might be an issue of sin in your life. That might be a place that you have not surrendered. You, you haven't even asked the Lord to walk you into freedom because you've been reluctant to let go of that. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe it's a place where you've been wounded or offended or broken. Maybe you are in a process of grief this morning. 
and you've made your way into those dark waters and you can't see a way out. Maybe you're in a place where your closest relationships are fractured right now. And it seems like just as Jesus was giving out his breath, that the breath is going out and that hope is being lost. Maybe you're in a place this morning where you need to be set free from anxiety or depression. You need new hope in Christ. Maybe it's a a very practical need of provision and care and safety. Would you come and see? Lord, we present our hands out in front of you as if we would be offering these places of hurt and brokenness, these places of less than. Lord, we ask that you would move. Lord, for many of us, there's places in our lives that are as a tomb. And within it, it seems like all is death and all is lost. Lord, would you enter that place and conquer death? Would you enter that place and bring new life? Lord, we would offer them to you and we would say, we we want to come and see. We're crying out as best we can this morning, Jesus. Jesus. We offer those places to you and ask you to move in power, in authority, to be moved by your great love for us, Lord, to bring salvation in these places. We've seen it demonstrated. We receive it in faith. And Lord, for each heart here that has seen you move in their life, for each heart here that has a story of transformation and salvation, Lord, each heart here who has been in a situation that is hopeless and has found hope in you, Lord, would you motivate us to go and tell that we would share our hope, that we would share our faith, Lord, that we would invite others to come and see and that we would again go and tell and that that would be the rhythm of the faith life that we walk, that we would constantly come and see, that we would be drawn to your presence and to your power, to your word, to your spirit, and then we would go and tell the great and wondrous things that you continue to do. Because we believe, Jesus, that you can save. You have and you continue to. And with grateful hearts, we celebrate that you are a risen and living King. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few action steps for you this week. You can catch these later online. You can snap a picture with your smartphone or tablet. But two reminders, his body was broken so that you could be made whole. So that's whole in any and every area of life that you need to experience that. His blood was shed so that you could have new life. And based on those two thoughts, call on his name. Call out to Jesus and receive each one of those in faith. Happy Easter.